Welcome to Agent Investor, where you'll hear inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. Join your host, investor and broker Tom Caffarella, as he dives into how active agents are delivering a high level of service to clients while spotting opportunities, negotiating with homeowners, signing deals, and building additional streams of income. You'll come away from each episode with practical tips, tactics, and action steps while being inspired to open your eyes to the potential deals that are all around you. After all, you have the skills, you have the market knowledge, you have access to the information. Why not leverage all those assets to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? If you're an active agent interested in investing in real estate and building passive income, this is your podcast. And now let's jump into this episode of Agent Investor. I am super excited today to be talking to Ren Bartlett. Is it Bartlett? Bartlett, yeah, that's right. Uh, all right, cool. I asked you how to um, pronounce your first name, but then I remembered I forgot to ask you about the last name too. Um, so, Ren is actually the COO of a company that's actually very similar to mine. And uh, before we jumped on the podcast live, what I said to him is, this is a topic that I've really never hit on on this podcast, which is essentially, how do you as a business owner identify your strengths, your own personal strengths and your own personal weaknesses and either partner with or hire staff really to fill the void? And most of you don't know this because he doesn't get a lot of fanfare, um, but I actually have two other partners in my business. And I, one of my partners essentially serves as the construction manager. He manages all of our projects and we fix and flip over a hundred homes per year. And he's out managing contractors, making sure all of our fix and flips get done on time and under budget. My second partner is really the COO of the business. And what be having a COO of my business as a partner allows me to do is it allows me to be the artist. It allows me to be the person that's the visionary and really only deal with high level things. Because at the end of the day, I don't know um, what the owner of your business is like, Ryan, but I know I'm a total disaster when it comes to operations. So I know for myself, I could not run my business without having two partners. So talk a little bit about um, your company in general and then how, at what point in the company did you get involved? Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to come on and chat with you guys. Uh, so let's see, our company, we're, we're based out of Mobile, Alabama. We are, um, you know, what I like to call wholesale first. We do fix and flips and, uh, you know, we do uh, a lot of rentals. But, you know, our main focus is wholesaling. We've done about just shy of 90 deals so far this year, so 90 transactions. Uh, about 95% of those transactions have been wholesale deals. And, uh, you know, we take rentals as we, as we get them. And then we've done four or five, um, flips to date, but, uh, we have a team of about 15 people. Uh, we're all, uh, here in-house in Mobile, Alabama. I know a lot of people that wholesale, they are kind of virtual if you will, but everyone's here in, in the office and, uh, you know, so we got everything and our, our business is kind of laid out uh, very similar or based off the EOS operating model, uh, which is, you know, the book, you know, Wickman Traction. We have Jared, who's the owner and president of the company, and he is the visionary. And, you know, he kind of embodies everything that you think a visionary is. It's more, more or less, like you said, the artist. Uh, I like to say he, he points to a spot on the map and then I get us there. So, um, 
And then kind of my role is, is, you know, I handle all the operations from the finances uh, to the marketing, uh, you know, to internal processes and whatnot. Lead generation, I guess there's three parts to our business, uh, lead generation, fulfillment, and then conversion is what we kind of how we categorize it. And so I manage all those day to day and kind of report weekly to Jared and he kind of tweaks things as he sees fit from based on his experience. Um, and, you know, under that is just my team. We have a, a sales department, a lead intake department, and a d- dispositions department, and then a young lady that runs all our title work. So so the, the book that you referenced is, is one of the, the better business building books that I've seen. Um, and it's a book, again, Gino Traction wrote it. Uh, Gino Whitman wrote it. It's called Traction. And he's got a bunch of other books. But essentially um, what uh, Gino Whitman has said in his book is that there's two types of people in any business. Uh, there's two types of owners. Um, you can either be an artist or an operator. And essentially, the artist is the visionary of the business. They're, they're the ones that, that look forward. They say what you know the company is going to look like a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. And they're really forward, future-thinking type people. Um, and again, it, there's a, actually a test that Gino Whitman has on his website that will allow you to, to know personally whether or not you're an artist or an operator. Uh, operators are the people who actually make sure the stuff gets done. So if you're an artist like myself, you have ideas you know, running through your head each and every day. You've got stuff that you want to get done. But when it comes to actually executing on those things, that's kind of where we struggle. Now, on the other side, the operator is typically somebody who loves to build systems, loves to get stuff done, but maybe can't see the path, maybe doesn't know exactly where they should go. And again, the reason why it's so important is because when an artist doesn't have an operator, a lot of times stuff doesn't get done. And when an operator doesn't have an artist, a lot of times they don't know where they should be going, right? Because they get focused on the day-to-day. So talk about how long have you been there for? Um, Since January. Okay. What was the the business like? So you've been there for almost a year now. Meanwhile, we're we're getting late uh, in the year now. You've been there for almost a year. Um, What were you hired for and how has the business changed since you've gotten there? Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's funny. I was actually hired um, as a director of marketing and sales. And and as I came in, I had some unique abilities. Uh, I come from a a background in advertising where I ran a couple advertising firms. Um, And, you know, the focus of our business here is, you know, we're a sales and marketing company. So I had a good background that kind of transitioned well into what Jared thought he needed at the time here. Um, So when I come in, that was kind of my, I had no prior experience in real estate. I didn't even know what a wholesale transaction was. And uh, so I come in and, you know, my first 30 days, I just absorb, try to, you know, overload on content. Then I I started to see there was a lot of uh, opportunities, if you will, for improvement in systems and processes. A lot of things we did in other businesses in the advertising world, as far as fulfillment of certain projects that would really transition well into this business. Um, You know, Jared kind of operated the business on a pencil and paper, if you will. There was no project management system. There was a CRM, but, you know, it, it wasn't being utilized to its full potential. There was a lot of uh, automations and what I call podio hacks that weren't, you know, incorporated. Um, so you know, the first thing that I did is recognize that opportunity. And then I went in and everybody in the company, I think there was nine people at the time, they operated from a, their process, which was all in their head. 
So in my mind as an operator, you cannot get systemized, repeatable uh, results operating from something in your head. So we went in and we mind mapped the entire business and we documented every process. You know, everybody technically had a role within the company. And so then every function within that role, we went in and documented. From there, we transferred that into a project management system, which is pretty robust. It's called Teamwork. It actually come from my old company that we used in the advertising agency. So I was extremely familiar with that. It has, if that, then this task and different triggers that we've implemented in uh, that are that are pretty systematized and, and automated. Um, and, you know, from that, it kind of took off. We were able to build and scale up pretty nicely. And, uh, you know, if we do, unfortunately, lose an employee, it's built in a way that, you know, we just change an email address and then assign a series of tasks there and we can plug and chunk kind of those people in pretty quickly and get everybody on board. And each task is built out in such a way uh, that if you can read, you can complete the task. It comes, every task comes with a due date, a person that it's assigned to, uh, and then a video tutorial on how to complete the task. So they can just click the link, watch a YouTube video, and, you know, whether that's completing a, a you know, a text message blast to our buyers list or creating a MailChimp campaign or even putting together the marketing pieces for our next mailer. Like I said, if you can read, you can dive right in and, and knock out the task pretty easily. So you hit on so many things. I'm not even sure which I'm going to really start with. But my overall kind of thought on everything that you said revolves around a book that uh, Robert Kiyosaki wrote, which we call Cash Flow Quadrant. Have you ever heard or read of that book? I've heard, I know who Robert is, uh, never read Cashflow Quadrant. Okay, so the, the premise around the book is that essentially you uh, want to go from qu one quadrant to another all the way to the end, and there are four quadrants. There's the E quadrant, the S quadrant, the B quadrant, and the I quadrant. The E quadrant is the employee, and the theory is that as you move from one quadrant to another, life gets better. So the E quadrant is the employee quadrant. Um, and really as an employee, as everybody knows, um, you know, you don't have full control over, you know, your day to day, you get paid a certain salary and, you know, you could have benefits and stuff like that. Um, and then going from an employee to self-employed individual, there's a lot more freedom, a lot more flexibility, you have a lot more control over your income. Then you go to the B quadrant and you have a business, right? So when most real estate investors are, are S's, which is basically a self-employed individual who's running around with a process in their head. And the problem with being in the S quadrant and never making it into the B quadrant is that the second that you stop working, you stop making money. And so essentially what you did when you came into that business, you took that business from the owner being in the S quadrant to actually owning a business. And you highlighted all of the things that, that are problematic for somebody in the S quadrant. You know, one of the biggest things that the people struggle with, because business is all about leverage, you've got to leverage your own time through people. And so you, you, you struggle to hire somebody and then you struggle to train them. And then, you know, if they're a good employee, great, they're doing a great job. But as we know, employees don't last, right? Most employees don't work for the same employer for 30 or 40 years anymore. So in most cases, there's turnover, right? Especially in small businesses, a lot of turnover. And you talked about the fact that you could lose an employee now. He could lose an employee now in his business and get operational again very quickly. Um, and it's because of the, the processes, processes that you have that are now documented. Um, uh, really running it like a business. And you had come in and saw kind of opportunities for improvement. So you've only been there 
for a little bit under a year. So besides, you know, what I like to think about in business is that you build these systems and you focus on building systems and the building of the systems themselves don't automatically the next day make the business profitable, but over time they do. So what have you seen in terms of improvement just for the business from these systems that you've helped to develop since January? That's a good question. Um, You know, I I guess the, the first thing from a business standpoint, or if we're talking about, you know, bottom line profit increases, um, we were able to eliminate a lot of waste um, for unne- unneeded softwares and programs. We were, we were paying for softwares, uh, our software program that a lot of it had uh, cross functionality or, you know, the text was also had email, email enabled. So we were able to take a look at everything that we were currently using and then start trimming the fat and seeing um, where we could make cuts. Uh, and then as far as, the technology, how it's helped improve is we can do more with less. So, you know, where we had three or four people that were kind of in charge of a bunch of different things for marketing, we're able to take all that, put it into one bucket, have one person do it. It's more efficient. Uh, it's more, you know, for, for the end user, it's more comprehensive. You're only getting hit with our marketing from, you know, uh, or for our buyers list, you're only getting hit from one person on one channel. It's a consistent, uh, message that that has continuity throughout um so you know efficiencies uh reap benefits over the long run if you're able to produce a sustainable consistent product you know overall your profit margins increase so you know we haven't really seen a huge increase from the technology that we've implemented other than you know being able to do more with less people so we don't have to carry as many people to do the administrative type work does that make sense hundred percent makes sense. So, um, again, I want to highlight some of the things you just talked about, um, savings because of waste. Again, going back to the Gina Whitman artist versus operator. The, uh, I know as an artist myself, you, you watch a webinar, you hear somebody picture product and in your head, you're like, this is going to fix my business. Mm-hmm. Now there's two issues that the artist tends to have. Number one, um, they may not set up that software the right way. They may not use that p- program the way it should be. The second thing that a lot of times they do is they kind of just let it go, right? Even if it doesn't work, a lot of times that remains an expense on their P&L. I know I can think of the top of my head a bunch of different things that I pay for right now that I probably shouldn't. Um, you talked about doing more with less people. Um, what we find when we actually analyze and look at what people are doing on a day-to-day basis is there's a lot of ways that we can improve their productivity and not by necessarily working them harder, but by working them smarter and also by giving them KPIs, key performance indicators that will allow us to measure their progress. And the thing that's great about setting up KPIs for employees is that it gives them a metric to hit every single day so that they know how they're doing, but it also gives them the ability to actually then make more money. Right. So one of the reasons that people leave small business jobs because they don't have a clear outline or know how they're doing on a day to day basis. They don't know how what they should be doing, how well they're doing. And then they don't have any room for growth because it was never set up. So by actually trying to do more with less, um, you can actually make your employees lives happier and also allow them a better career, a career track. So you came in, you made a bunch of changes. Um, you know, it's, it's almost a year in, what do you kind of have envisioned 
Like, what are your top things that you're working on today in the business? Increasing conversion rates for our sales force and then uh, creating processes to enter new markets. We feel like we have a good foundation here. And then, you know, the key for us or our goal overall is scale. You know, we have this long-term vision to be in 50 markets in, in the next 10 years. Uh, in order to do that and be successful, you have to have repeatable uh, processes, right? You have to be able to, you know, go into one market, get in, get going really good, and then pivot over and, and get into another market. But in order to do that, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the Ray Kroc McDonald's hamburger. You can just the same process produces the same product over and over again. So we're trying to dial that in. We're trying to create processes to identify a market so that we can then go in and set up shop. Um, and, you know, if, if you're in the wholesale game, that can be uh, quite challenging. And it's a, it's a bigger risk, right, to go into a market that you haven't been operating in or you maybe don't have the connections that you do in your home, in your home base. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us, when we start – we start in our hometown and, you know, we have an advantage there because it, it, it's home. We have a good network of people. We know a lot of realtors. We know who's buying. Uh, you know, we know the area and what's selling. Uh, so, but to go into a market, it's kind of like going into the unknown. So that, that's our major focus is uh, right there is conversion, increasing conversion rates for our sales force. And then how can we create really good, really tight systems and processes to begin to enter into new markets? So you talked about getting your sales force to increase their conversion. Um, and I don't know exactly how you guys run your business, but I know with mine, you know, the number one thing with real estate investing is to generate the face-to-face -face seller appointments for people that are thinking about selling their properties, but haven't done so yet off market. Is that the same strategy that you guys have in your market? Yes, that's correct. And we do that. Um, through mailers and Google ads and Facebook ads and a lot of other online internet leads, cold calling and all that good stuff. And then what we do is we actually send out in my office, we send out real estate agents, which is a little bit different than what most wholesalers do because we offer both a cash offer and a listing offer. Now, when you're talking about converting, what are the main things that you're focused on within those, that system right now? I'm not sure. So, you know, we want to convert the appointment to a transaction, right? So yeah. the lead generation part's easy. Getting the appointments on the counter is easy. But, you know, we want to enable our salespeople to win, right? And so, you know, we, we are in a big mastermind group and a lot of uh, our, our counterparts throughout the country, we see have 30 to 40 45% closing rate. So right now we're hovering around 15. So incrementally increasing that can have a huge impact on our bottom line. So, you know, what, what that looks like for us is just better training. Uh, we kind of call ourselves the real estate problem solvers because that's the reason that someone's going to give up that equity or that take, you know, sell their house for a deep discount in order for us to attain it is we have to be solving some kind of problem. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we see on our first visit out with the prospect, you know, people aren't very, uh, you know, just open about what's really going on. A lot of these people have kind of made bad choices or, you know, are going through divorce or pre-bank, you know, pre-foreclosure, anything like that. So you have to get out there and get them to open up. So we're really trying to focus on, uh, you know, giving our sales force that the, uh, the, the knowledge and the experience needed, uh, to convert that sale, kind of the fulfillment, uh, you know, compartment of our business. 
So I for, for for us, I know the big thing that we focus on is what we call a sales process, and we define a sales process. So, you know, it really boils down to two parts for us. Uh, the first part is rapport, right? So we've got to, we've got to get the we've got to get the person on the front level. We've got to get the seller to know, like, and trust us. If they don't know, like, or trust us in sales, we're not going to get the sale no matter what our offer is. Let's take a quick break from the episode. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincamerancoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. Uh, the second thing is we really look to make it a consulta- consultation. So we understand that in order for us to get business, once they know, like, and trust us, that we've got to provide a value proposition that makes sense for them. So the way that we go about doing that is we really get a good understanding of what their situation is. So just like a doctor uh, would never prescribe medication without asking a bunch of questions, what we're focused on is getting a really good understanding of what makes the most sense for the seller. Because not every seller, um, not for every seller, it doesn't make sense to sell to an investor. So we really want to know what their goals are, what their history is, what's most important to them when selling a property. So once we've got them to trust us and like us and know us and they want to do business with us, we're then understanding their situation enough so that we can provide enough value so that they then want to do business with us. But it does boil the conversion aspect of it boils down to to, uh, two components. The first component is who you're sending out there. So not every person that goes out on a face-to-face appointment is created equal. Um, you've got to get really good people and that could be potentially one of the issues. Um, the other issue is just training them, right? Training Mm. them to build a report, building them to follow the sales process. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, you said that people around the country are having 30 to 45% conversion rates. Um, that seems really high to me. Um, I agree, you know, and and people could be fudging a little bit, but that, that kind of seems to be the overall consensus. We're in a mastermind called uh, seven figure flipping, eight figure flipping. And uh, you know, if you ask anybody in the group, Hey, Hey, what's your sales guys converting at? Oh, they're 35, 40% all day. Um, You know, do I, do I believe that 100%? Eh, I I don't know. My guys are not closing at that rate. I, I know that. So I'll tell you, I mean, one thing, is that every market's a little bit different. Every market has a little bit different competition level. So that's the, one of the important things, I think, because, you know, my market in Boston is super hot. It's, it's very unlikely that when we go out on a face-to-face appointment, even for properties that are off market, that we don't have competition on the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to, you know, having competition on the deal um, from other investors, we've got competition on the deal from real estate agents, and we've also got um, we've also just got the fact that sellers know it's a seller's market. Um, Thirty to forty five percent just seems ridiculously high because at the end of the day, a lot of the people that we're meeting with may not even sell. Period. Sometimes we have people that come out; they just want to get a value of their home, or they're considering selling, but they're not ready yet. But at the end of the day, it doesn't. To me, I don't look at it like um, I need to compare to what somebody else in a different market is doing. I think it's just about improving, you know, our numbers, you know, time after time again. So you said that the sales force is something that you're focused on. You talked about using McDonald's in your business, which I think is is huge. And again, another way that we go from the S quadrant to the B quadrant, having, you know, predictable systems that we can track and measure and, you know, so that anybody can follow. 
you talked about going into other markets. Um, you're in Mobile, Alabama, right? Yeah, that's correct. When what's the time frame for getting into market number two, or have you already done that? Uh, I, I think, you know, according to Jared, our, the owner, 30 days, according to me, it's more like 90. So there you go. Artist operator right there. So the artist is going to, he's probably going to want you to be in all 50 markets next week. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're going to have to slow it down because again, there's always that battle between the artist and the operator in terms of what, when they want something done and when would it be exciting to get something done. And then what's realistic, right? My partner says to me, you know, all the time, like, you know, what trouble are you going to get me into next? Because at the end of the day, like once he gets the system designed and everything's running good, then that's my opportunity to say, well, what else can we do? You know, what else can we, can we go into a different market? Can we do different types of deals? Can we start a different business? So it's always that kind of push and pull, but um, 90 days. And are you guys going to plan to stay fairly local or are you going to go somewhere completely remote? Um, you know, we're, we're definitely going to launch a model that has boots on the ground. So we have acquisitions managers there. Uh, but I think for the, for the time being, we're going to stay around the South. Yeah. So somewhere where you could, you could potentially drive to or somewhere where it's just, it's in the South, but it's not even close. Well, we have a small plane, so that cuts down on time. Uh, we definitely want to be, you know, we're going to take a gas on the plane, uh, just so we can get there and, and, you know, have monthly visits and, uh, you know, really be really in touch with our team. We're, we like to be really hands-on. We like to develop the culture, um, you know, and we're trying to grow more than just, you know, a job. We're trying to grow a leg, what I call a legacy company. You know, we want our employees to be sitting in the rocking chair one day when they're old telling their, their children they work for the greatest real estate investment firm in, in the country. Uh, and I think that really comes with building a solid culture and having a really, uh, really good buy-in from your employees. And just from what we've seen, the best cultures are, you know, somebody you can put your arm around and hug when they're having a bad day. So, you know, if, if something's gone, you know, if something's gone crazy, we want to be able to hop in the whatever mode of transportation we choose, get up there and, uh, you know, take care of it, you know. So it's kind of... We'll stay around the South. We can get to most places uh, from West Louisiana over to Georgia or up to Tennessee within, you know, a couple hours. So So the biggest mistake I made in my business, and I've been in business now for 10 years, I've been uh, very successful, is not understanding the culture and the buy-in aspect of it. I don't know if that's something that you kind of helped to implement or if that's something that, uh, you know, the owner was big on when you got there but it's something I didn't really realize. And again, you know, getting, getting yourself to leverage people, um, people work for companies with a vision and people work for companies that have good culture and they stay with companies that have good culture. So one of the mistakes I made was not understanding that having turnover, having people leave that were paid, no issue with pay, no issue with the tasks that they were doing, but not loving the culture or really kind of the, the lack of culture. Um, I know for myself, I'm all business and not a lot of you have a bad day. I'm going to give you a hug type of thing. Yeah. But I've worked on that because, and it doesn't necessarily always have to be me, but other people within my company. So like we do, um, we do monthly company outings now. Like we we're doing a big um, trip where we're taking uh, 15 people to Aruba in October, you know, just company building type stuff. And um, 
I've heard it time and time again from different people that are super successful in business that it makes all the difference. So I'm glad you guys are working on implementing that. What, what do you, what do you guys do to create that culture in, uh, purposely? Wow. So, you know, it, it's a consistent effort uh, on my part. And, you know, when I first came on board, the company looked completely different. We've actually had about 98% turnover um, since I've come on. There's there's one guy remaining, uh, you know, and, and, and he's just sold out for Irby. If you cut him, he bleeds Irby blood. Um, so he, he's really on board. But, you know, we, we do a lot of things. And I think it all starts with really voicing that vision. And then letting everybody know that, hey, you're accountable for something and we're going to hold you accountable. And not, not only, you know, the leadership within the company, but everyone. So we have a big, uh, uh, you know, structure board. And I'm a firm believer of everybody sits in a seat and you know exactly what your job is and exactly, you know, what you can do day in and day out to make a difference, um, you know, as you're sitting in that seat. So that's one of the things we do is that accountability. We hold quarterly meetings, quarterly state of the company meetings, uh, where we talk about, you know, where we've been, the mistakes we've made, how we're going to fix them, where we're going. Um, and you know, we always make a conscious effort to, uh, you know, voice the vision. You know, we believe that company culture is like a cell phone battery. You need to plug it in and charge it up or it's going to die out. Um, and then on top of that, some more, you know, uh, we go uh, on company outings twice a, twice a month. We either do a big family picnic where we take everybody to lunch or we grill out here at the office. Uh, and then we do something where we include everyone's family. Uh, tomorrow night, actually, we're going bowling and everybody will bring, you know, their spouses and children. And uh, we just kind of get together outside of work. And it, it's a great time to bond and build those relationships. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a lot more rewarding a lot more fulfilling to work with people that you care about yep. and they're just not not another face you know what i mean they're not just someone that you have to work with uh we, we also do bi-weekly meetings where i come in for 30 minutes 15 to 30 minutes everybody in the company every two weeks and just talk about whatever they want to talk about and it, it enables me to get a good pulse of their feelings and their emotions and their outlook toward the company and their employees and you know, I asked for honest feedback, and at first I wasn't getting a lot of it. Um, but over time, as I built trust with them, you know, they started opening up. And, and you know, I, I'm not, I'm definitely not perfect, neither is Jared. And uh, we're just, you know, there's no recipe for success in this business. Um, so we're just trying a ton of things, and there's always a ton of change. And for a lot of people, that can get frustrating. You know, when I come in one day and say, let's do this, and the next day we reverse it 180, you know. So, um, just really being in touch with them as human beings and not just employees, not just as a number and understanding how they view things, their perspective on the changes within the company, their perspective on the visions, and then really understanding and knowing what they want out of the position. Um, you know, we really try to hire people that want a career and not a job. Um, and, you know, to give somebody to offer somebody a career, you have to know what their personal goals are. And for a lot of people to, uh, to open up and tell you, you know, if I'm going to tell you my personal goals or anything personal about me, I have to trust you first. Right. So first you have to earn their trust. And then, you know, you really get into the meat and the thick of, of what's going to fulfill them because, 
you know, like you said earlier, money, it's not, it's not always money. In fact, for most people, it's not that's the at thing all. That I never understood. I'm telling you, that's the part that blows my mind. I thought it was, I mean, for me, right. I go to work, I own a business. It's, it's money and lifestyle. Those are the yeah. two reasons I got into business myself. I want to make as much money as I can. And I want to have the lifestyle I want to have. And I've, I've attained that. Now, as I've started to build up my business, I've seen it's, those are not the two top priorities for people, Right. They'd rather feel a part of that family-oriented company and be connected, have fun at work than than the money. And so really what I did was I I overpaid, right? I overpaid because I wanted to not have that – not that I didn't want to have it, but I I just wasn't focused on it because I didn't think it was important. So I had to overpay for people because I wasn't giving them what they wanted. So you talked about, um, you know, the, the book traction. Are you guys an EOS client? No, we are not. Self-implementation. Okay. Self-implementation. All right. But you are in a mastermind. Uh, yeah. Are you in any other coaching now? Uh, so we're in seven and eight figure flipping. And then we're going to uh, be going kind of as a test drive for a collective genius. So we're going to that mastermind in Tampa uh, next month, I believe. Um, but now, you know, we've kind of looked at, at like strategic business coaching or high level business coaching. I uh, really haven't found anything that stuck out to us. You know, there's a lot of, uh, everybody's a business coach, you know, so, uh, we, we feel like we're pretty sophisticated investors and, you know, definitely open to coaching, but, and I believe in a coach, the greatest, you know, the greatest business, Donald Trump has five coaches, big Alabama football fan down here. Nick Saban has like two life coaches and a business coach and a football, you know, mentor. So I definitely believe in what coaching provides, uh, on an individual, uh, you know, from an individual individualized standpoint. Um, but you know, not, not as of right now, we're not doing any like one-on-one business coaching. But you are you are in the seven and eight figure mastermind group, so you yeah. still you're still doing coaching. And I think you know what I see from successful people over and over again is they're they're in coaching or they're looking for coaching because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know you've got your own ideas and you could be you know a smart business person. But at the end of the day, you know getting getting more perspectives and seeing what other people are doing is really the way to do it. Um, in real estate, we're not putting a man on the moon. We don't need to recreate the wheel. Um, you run a successful business in a totally different part of the country than me. And it sounds like you've got a lot of the same systems and, you know, mentality and all that kind of stuff. So I think that, you know, getting around other people that are successful. I know I grew up in an area that, you know, most people didn't have a lot of money. And the mindset and the mentality was a, a lot different than the people I surround myself with today, both in coaching and just in business relationships. So what would you say to the, to the business owner that's looking to, to find somebody like you, like what are the main characteristics, whether they partner with somebody or hire somebody, what, what should they be looking for that artist that needs that, that operator? That's a tough one. You know, I, I get asked all the time, how, how do I replicate myself? Um, passion, I would say that that's what really drives me and accountability, you know, ultimate accountability. Um, I, I see everything in this business is my fault. If something goes wrong, it's definitely my fault. Uh, you know, whether it was an action that I did directly or indirectly. Um, and you know, my passion shines through often my passion is, uh, mistaken for, I don't know, all sorts of things, you know, uh, 
prudeness or too intense. I'm told I'm often too intense. I need to lighten up, but I just care so much more than, more than anybody ever knows. And I, I definitely feel the weight of the entire company on my shoulders, whether we keep our employees or not is, is, is up to me. So I guess passion and just extreme ownership, you know, having somebody that steps up and says, if I'm going to operate your company, I'm responsible from everything from start to finish. Um, and you know, that, that's a big burden. And not, uh, not a lot of people will take the blame for other people's mistakes. It's super easy to say, well, you know, that that's Joe's area. We need to go talk to him. Why are you talking to me? But for me, it's, it's, uh, no, Joe's my guy. You know, I, I kind of mentor him. I guide him. Let, let's see how I can become better and fix it. So does that answer your question? Is that a good answer? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, my partner's kind of, like you said, a lot of those characteristics are, are similar, taking ownership, trying to fix problems and all that good stuff. So, um, well, I want to thank you for, for taking the time to, to jump on today. I think it's a, a hugely important topic as people start to scale their business. Um, even in the beginning, man, I mean, this is how I did it from day one. Like for those of you who are, you know, at a small level and are already flipping, like I think having that artist operator is, is hugely critical. And really for me, again, like I said, I think that, I, I would have been successful even without an operator, but not nearly as much. And the other thing that I think is so important is I get to do what I'm passionate about every day. If, if I was running the business, if I served as the operator as well, I wouldn't be able to be talking to you right now. I wouldn't be able to do a lot of the coaching business that I have. And I'd really be, you know, struggling to, to perform a lot of the tasks that I, I don't love. So, um, you know, real estate, I think, is all about following your passion but even within real estate, you know, doing what you're passionate about within the business. And if you're, you are personally passionate about operations, great finding artists and, and vice versa. So how can um, individuals that are interested in reaching out to you or your company reach out to you? Yeah. So I'm on all, every social media platform at Ren Bartlett, R-H-E-N-B-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. Also on LinkedIn under the same, uh, you know, same name. So Got an email address. It's ren at com. Be happy to answer any questions. Perfect. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. It was hugely, hugely valuable um, to both me and my audience. Thanks for listening to Agent Investor. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincamerancoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.